Welcome to episode 513 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 513 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Well, Bevan's worried about cables. I'm just worried about sound a little bit. I think I might be getting a bit of background sound, but I think I'm okay. It's okay. Job, how you going? I'm pretty good. I missed you last week. Oh, dear. Cried the whole week. Yeah. Yeah, Joe was like, just let it go, Bev. I was like, yeah. John's not here. Yeah, we pumped out the show, though, so good stuff. Yeah, I enjoyed putting that show together. It took me forever. Yeah. Seriously, it took me about eight hours to put that show together, but that's okay because it was worth it for the people, and I did find it highly entertaining doing it. Good. There was a few laughs in there, wasn't there? Good. Yep. Yes, there was. There was a few laughs in there. Okay, Jonbo, I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by... Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our fantastic patrons. And let's name a few, eh? Ben, light it up, Cox. <laughs> light it up. We've got Robert, Speedy G, Aruda. Aruda. Sean, the light says go green. <laughs> um, Daniel, the investigator, Clark. And Stefan, Moonjumper Dooney. Do we think there was, was Clark Kent, the investigator? Probably, eh? Possibly. Have you yes. seen Batman vs Superman? No. Does Thomas want to see it? Yes, but we said no. It's too young. Yeah. Yeah, it probably is for that one. Yeah, mm. fair enough. Uh, that's a problem for that franchise because you want little boys to go see that movie. Yeah, all he wants to go and see is football at the moment. Oh, really? Yeah, he wants to go get the Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo DVD out from the DVD shop. What about the jersey? How much did it cost you for a kid? About 300 bucks? Not, we haven't gone there yet, but birthday is coming up. Okay, guys, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got some age group of the week. We've got a coach's corner. Guest coach uh, answering a question there. And then we have another coach with Jim Vance uh, interviewing around the book um, Triathlon 2.0. So for all you guys that are data-driven or want to become a little bit more understanding of how to interpret all your power files and stuff. Um, you bought the gear, but you've got no idea. Exactly. <laughs> he starts unravel that. Okay, and then we've got a couple of questions and answers there. Okay, well, the big piece of news that came out this week from Challenge Family was that they are going to be having a championship race. The championship. The championship, it's called. Uh, I don't know if I've trademarked that, but I've called it the <laughs> champion and championship, and it's going to be run next year. There's some interesting things about this race, John. The, first of all, the prize money's good, not amazing. Yeah, so it's going to be in Slovakia, and I think probably the first, before we go into prize money and stuff, the venue looks incredible. So it's kind of like a Tanyapura in Europe, but Next level. bigger. Yeah. It's, 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 they host 27 different uh, Olympic sports at this place called the X-Bionic Sphere. It's in Samarin, Slovakia. Uh, and when you do an aerial shot of the place, it looks amazing in terms of the facilities. They've got a horse racing track, apparently the biking around there. Um, if you go a little bit further out, it looks really nice. There's a river directly next to it. So um, it looks fantastic as, as a venue. Um, but yeah, it's just going to be whether or not they can really pull this off. And now the first year and the third year, it's going to be ran at that location. Yep. So they haven't announced the location for the second year. So in 2017 and 2019, it's going to be run at the Bionic X-Bionic Sphere. Mm. And then from there, it will be probably moved around a little bit. Uh, that, that does say, you know, the prize money they're saying here is 150,000 euro. Mm. 
professional price per use, but it is saying we'll carry a minimum. So we may see an increase in right. that. You know, it's interesting they've put that specifically there. So we may find that some more money comes in there. But they're doing some pretty interesting thing around getting the good people there, aren't they? Yeah, so it's a half distance. So to compare that prize money to 70.3 world, 70.3 is 250,000 US. This is 150,000 euro. I don't actually know what the conversion rate is at the moment, but it's uh, it won't take it up to 250. So it's a little bit less prize money. Um, yeah, the, the course... It sounds interesting. It sounds like it's pretty flat. Um, so I guess, you know, we don't want to see another Florida sort of situation here where it just becomes a draft fest. But what we did see when that challenge put on the race in Dubai in that, was it Dubai or was it... Uh uh, wherever that first race they had over in the big big money race was it Dubai or was yeah, it yeah no, uh, Abu Dhabi Dubai wasn't it yeah I think it was anyway no, was it Abu Dhabi no it was one or the other it's not there Bahrain? anymore Bahrain, Bahrain. It's there you go. well done you yeah. got there in the end finally um, I was going oh it's going to be a bit of a draft fest for the pros but they did have that 20 metre draft distance and it seemed to work really well for the pros if this is going to become a massive event for age groupers you know if they can stagger it out through the day, you can always can have a race on a flat course without drafting being a ridiculous problem, but you're going to have to stagger things out pretty significantly. So I think the course, it'll be interesting to see how it goes there. Um, the timing, I think, is quite good. Uh, it's a June race, at least for, for next year. So that kind of means they've positioned it. So it's about a month or so before uh, Rote in Frankfurt. So yep. you, for the pros, you've got a good chance, right, they want that last hit out. Yep. Likewise for age groupers, probably fits in fairly well for a relatively also early Also good season. for the European season. Mm. You know. Um, and I think it might kind of miss the main part of the ITU season as well because that kind of kicks off early part of the year. They do have races in the middle of the part of the year, but their peak peak for those guys is usually at the end of the season as well, around September time. So you may have that coming in. And we probably will see some athletes uh, dropping out of ITU after the Olympics. Um, so yeah, a number of good things, number of good well, so things what, going for it. So one thing they are doing, which is interesting, is that they are saying there is a kind of a qualification process to get to this race, but they are making it very easy for top level people to get there. So if we look at professional athletes who finish within the top five at the Rio Olympic Games, or top three at a World Triathlon Series end of season ranking, uh, ITU long distance world champion, Ironman world champion, Ironman 70.3 so world top, champion. Top three in those races, top three in the long distance or, or in Kona. Yeah, so those all are going to get slots to the championship, no worries. So they basically you do well in those races. I hate to say it, but then there's a but. 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 Then you've got to go and do it. You've got to go go validate basically and do a challenge yeah, but race. It's, but a 70.3 is different than an Ironman. It is. You know what I mean? Like it is... It is different to an Ironman. Like, like you can do a 70.3 and just tick the box, can't you? Without You can, but it's still another race. You know? So for someone like an Alistair Brownlee, it's another race to your season you've got to add in somewhere. And for, let's be realistic, for those guys, this probably won't be their peak race for the season. So it is adding a little hoop. I understand why they've done it, but I would have thought, uh, I don't know. My the feeling is, is you've got to get the to them. I think if it's a one-off race, yes, but if they do have to qualify, it just adds an extra hoop they've got to jump through. And I know that in the interest of fairness for the other people that do have to qualify, you've got to kind of make it a little bit fair, but I'd probably rather just see that uh, we just get the best possible field on there. And uh, yeah, if you if you want to get the automatic slot, you go and get a medal at the Olympics. Simple many, as that. How, how many do you think will turn up? Of, you know, like Realistically here, you've probably got 20, 30 athletes mm. you know, who potentially could just you know, tick a box at a race and turn up without having to qualify. Uh, do you think this race is appealing enough to get most of those people there? 
at that sort of prize money, the big kahunas, it's probably not going to have the same appeal as, as uh, Bahrain did. You know, that was a pretty big prize purse. And I guess it, it will have a lot of appeal, but this, whether or not a lot of the just below that top, top tier, so your top athletes, but not necessarily Olympic medalists or top three in Kona, whether they turn up is going to probably depend on how they do the the price structure in terms of how deep the price purse goes, and equally that's going to affect how, you know whether you get the the second tier athlete. So it pays thirty deep or something or twenty deep, then you're likely to get a much deeper field. But yeah, I would just love to see the best best athletes there, and by making them jump through that extra hoop, if you're uh, you know if, if Alistair Brownlee's thinking right, I might do that, uh, then I've got to go into another half race to get there. So. I'd rather just see them all rock up and do it. So they are doing qualification for the age group system. So age group athletes will have the opportunity to qualify with a top five age group position at any challenge family event worldwide during the qualification period. Top three teams in male, female and mixed categories and relays events will also qualify for the championship at the championship family events. Uh, to celebrate the elite performance of qualifying athletes but maintaining Challenge Family's commitment to inclusiveness, 300 loyalty slots will be available to any age group athlete who participates in at least four Challenge events within the qualification period. Loyalty spots are awarded for first-in, first-serve basis for athletes who meet the minimum requirement. So a bit of a loyalty there, but you do have to race a lot. That is, you, know, mm. you are quite loyal to, the, to them there. The race is a half-distance race. Again, it's going to be at the biosphere, uh, sorry, ex-bionic sphere on 17 and 19, and in 18 it will be host city, will be announced later. Mm. later. So, so I think it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, kind of cool. I um, think the only thing that's lacking is the money. Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if, if they pulled off a half million. Yep, it would be great. And then, yeah. and that would make it m- more appealing for, say, me as an age grouper going, oh, yeah. rock up and I get to see those dudes yeah, race. because let's say, let's say they got the people who, who like the top five in the Olympics, the, you know, if they got that field, man, you want to be there, don't you? Yeah, that would get get me over the line going, okay, we'll race in the morning, those dudes race in the afternoon, we can kick back and Because that's the beauty watch. of this, this distance of race is you can get the top in all fields turning mm. up. Mm. And if you got that, it would just be, everyone would want to be there. Mm. And so, but what's going to be, that's going to, it's going to be money at the end of the day. So, yep. you know, if they can, although we do know challenge do pay for appearance. Mm-hmm. So maybe what they are doing is saying, well, maybe we'll get less prize money and we'll pay a bit on behind the scenes and, and appearance. And I Man do the same thing. They do package deals. You know, people like Meredith Kessler and stuff, I'm sure they get some sort of package deal. They come down and do Taupo 70.3. They do Ironman New Zealand and yeah. they'll sort of package up some sort of deal for them. So I'm sure they'll be doing everything they can to get the best possible fields. So I'm going to be, A, intrigued to see how the it goes on the elite side of things, but also to see what the, the appeal is for, for age groupers and uh, and what the whole race experience of that venue looks like it looks really cool in terms of being one-stop shop you rock up they've got a kids play area and stuff like that with a, a hydro slide and all that sort of things so it's hotels on site so logistically once you're there i think it'll be um a pretty easy cool race to be at yeah it is quite nice to be staying on site where you'd have to go down the hotel elevator and you're basically at the races uh, but be also nice. the other thing is i'm not sure how much of accommodation they have at this place but it's quite a lot so if you're racing because I remember, like, so for Les Mills, occasionally we do these kind of big conferences around the world. Mm. And you'd, some of them, you know, everyone's staying in different locations. Mm. And they're still fun. But when you go to, like, a, a place where everyone's yes. staying in the same place, yeah. it's just so wicked. Mm. And imagine if we're all staying in the same place and Brownleys are staying there. Mm. And, you know, like mm. that, 
that would be pretty sensational. So mm. that, that definitely has the appeal of that for the race as well. On the challenge side of things, also recently they've just announced the challenge field, the pro field for challenge rort, and the guy's side of the race is going to be pretty interesting, isn't it? Yeah, so Frodo's really announced that he's going to go for the record. You know, he's had that that calf strain that he had a little while back, mm. but I'm sure he'll be 100% over that by the time yeah, that rolls definitely. around. So he should be in good shape. You've got Cyril Vineau, who's been uh, top uh, sort of five, top six or so in Kona. Nils Fromhold, Tyler Butterfield, Dirk Bockles. He's on a bit of a comeback trail, so it'll be interesting to see what sort of shape he's and in. Bottle was a high, high pedigree. What did he do a few years ago? He did like 750 there a few yeah. years ago. Yeah. Uh, and Joe Skipper will be out there spanking the bike, and there's plenty of other dudes there as well. Girl side of things. Does Frodo actually state he's going for the record? Yeah, yeah, no, he's got a little, they had a little picture of him and. Um, Felix with a with a little plaque which had the the, the existing record and uh, yeah so I think he wants to it's go. It's a ballsy there. move, isn't it? Like yeah. if anyone's going to beat it, it's him. But oh, it's, it's part of your um, legacy to go out there and have a record. You know, yeah. he's he's shown that he can individual TT a race and uh, Pull condi- his pants conditions down. conditions are going to be pretty important. Don't, don't, don't tell me about conditions that wrote John. <laughs> <laughs> we had perfect conditions when we were there. Yeah. Just drizzled all day. Uh, on the girls' side of things, good strong field as well. You've got Mary Beth Ellis, Yvonne Van Lurken, Meredith Kessler. Meredith Kessler could go out there and absolutely spank that race. Um, uh, Susie Cheatham and Laura Siddle. So, yeah, pretty good field to rate this year. Do you think he'll do it? If the conditions are right, yeah. I think he'll what's, absolutely the, what's the time in Because Rote's not the fastest now, is it? Austria. Is Austria the fastest? Austria. Uh, no, Rote's still the fastest, but Austria. If you got someone like him there, I think potentially be before. Yeah. So did Ray Luke do it in Rote, did he? Yeah, seven forty one. So yeah, okay. yeah. That's, that's how, how fast could he go, man? Because wow. he, he could absolutely tear up. Do you up think we could see a seven, seven and a half? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think he'll go. Yeah, you know, conditions right. He could definitely go a few minutes quicker that, than that. That just blows It'll my be mind into away. Seven thirties. Yeah, it is. But imagine under seven and a half. That's that. oh, under seven and a half. Might yeah, be 729. Like, Ray had a pretty good day, I think. Yeah, that, well, 741, come on. Mm, mm. That pretty, is pretty good day. Oh, that's a, that is phenomenal. Yeah, so. Oh, I love Ray we, should, we should get Ray on the show. We've had him a couple of times post Kona. Mm. We actually get him on the show because he's a star, man. Mm. Okay, uh, good new epic camp coming up. Well, so I was down in, in Arrowtown last week and sort of around the <laughs> Queenstown, Wanaka area. And it was sensational. And I rode up the Crown Range one day, which is up to oh. a ski resort, up to Coronet Peak. Uh, another No, the Coronet Peak is a ski resort. And the trails, if you want to go on a holiday down there, it's just they've got this new trail system with the mountain bikes. Absolutely brilliant. And I was riding along going, I've got to have a camp down here. So you just... Blocked so it in. Blocked it in. It's not going to be until 2018, and I'm going to combine it in with Challenge Wanaka. So if you ever wanted to come down to Challenge Wanaka, uh, it's going to be a sort of a 10-day camp leading into that, a bit like what I do over in Kona. And it is just that we, I mean, it helps when it was sunny every day. It's the most spectacular part of Queensland. It'll be taking in all the cultural stuff as well. Oh. Got a little wine tour, cheese oh, tour. Not a hacker. Go, go up and do the, uh, go to do the gondola and the luge and all that sort of stuff. So it's going to be a bit of a full-on experience. So if you're interested, I'll be updating them. I've got a few little updates on the website but if you're planning for 2018 you've always wanted to come and do challenge wanaka or the, ha- the half or the full uh look out for a, a race and it's going to be it's going to be one of our sort of epic light camps so it's going to be some big training but there's not sort of you don't need to be cone level athlete it's going to be a bit of a spread it's um seriously one of the most beautiful oh, places fantastic. in the world you can't go wrong. Okay, ITU update. We had the Cape Town results, and Brownlee looks like he's come back a little bit. Well, Jonathan Brownlee, so he, he faded last weekend and, and pretty much passed out and ended up in a wheelchair, <laughs> and that was so that was Jonathan Brownlee. Uh, he made a nice little comeback. He did get pipped uh, right at the end, so uh, Cape Town 
was a sprint distance race in Fernando Alaza, who is sort of vying for the the third Spanish spot um, in the Olympics. He managed to take it out, which was a little bit of a surprise um, from Brownlee and Dorian Konix. Mario Mola, um, so this is his Achilles heel. He's the fastest runner in the sport, but in this race, he was just a little bit off in the swim, and uh, so it was pretty much game over Rover. He ran himself up to fourth place, but that <coughs> potentially could happen in uh, Rio as well. So. But, but he's got the same bike time, so was he just... So was he in the second pack or something? Yeah, he might, oh. I, I haven't actually watched it all, but he must have just missed the pack. Uh, but I just sort of watched the closing stages. So he's very much just depending on what happens on the day, isn't he? He's whichever ha- whichever he ha- it is. He has been much more consistent of late. Uh, the swim in South Africa is quite different. It's absolutely freezing, um, and it's a wetsuit swim, whereas Rio's a non-wetsuit swim. So generally he's been making the swim pack, or the right swim pack, uh, so we'll just have to see what happens. I did note, and I, again, I haven't watched the footage, so I don't know what happened to Alistair Brownlee, because he was down oh, the he start, was racing, okay. um, but he was, he's not in the finish list, so maybe he pulled out beforehand. Girl side of things? Girl side of things, you got to feel for Jodie Simpson. She finished second place there, uh, and she won the first round of the World Triathlon Series this year, but she's not made the Olympics it's official now oh, so really? she's one of the she is a potential gold medal winner and uh, she hasn't made it just because, so who'd they go with uh, so that, it was a bit of a they basically just stuck to their selection criteria it's pretty obvious they had non-Stanford and Vicky Holland who qualified last year via performance not through selections uh, and then Helen Jenkins by winning the Gold Coast so Jodie Simpson probably first reserve and um, yeah could have been a potential definitely a potential medalist if not potential gold medalist so now do you think they've got the best three uh, oh, they're all much the same it's just on the day oh that sucks man. yeah Poor girl. Uh, yes. Yeah, so. Because that's your dream in those guys, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that's everything you work for is the Olympics. And she, she's in her prime. So, yeah. So she did last Olympics? Don't think so. But she won the Commonwealth Games, I think. So she's, um, yeah. So Non Stanford took that out from Jodie Stimpson finishing second, and Flora Duffy put in a pretty impressive little sprint there at the end to get third. Kind of cool. They finished on a, a, did a lap of the running track. So they came running in and, and did a lap around the running tracks. So that was kind of a cool way to finish the race. So good stuff. Okay, John, uh, Fredino and uh, Daniela Reef got sport, L'Oreal Sports, L'Oreal Sports Awards. That's what the All Blacks won, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, we're the best sporting team in the world. Yeah, and so. Dan, Dan Carter won the, the comeback of the year. Yeah. So a lot of you guys will know about the L'Oreal Awards. It's um, kind of a little bit European dominated uh, in terms of the, the sports that tend to, to win this. Tennis seems to do very, very well. Yeah. Um, and it's basically a whole bunch of um, <clears throat> ex top athletes from a huge range of sports and they obviously all vote on it we had a few Kiwis in there I think as well I think Sean Fitzpatrick was in there I think who was a former All Black captain Um, yeah so it was interesting that uh, A. Yaten Fredino got recognised and and it said in in the ITU one he was uh, won an award there and I thought I wonder what award he won because I knew he didn't. Novak Djokovic won the Sports Man of the Year award, yep. and so I went onto Wikipedia and, and actually scrolled down, and he's actually won the Action Sports Person of the Year. So since when did triathlon become? Do they have? So they have Sports Man, Sports Woman, obviously, and then they have uh, Team, which in New Zealand won last year. The German national football team won it when they won the World Cup. Yep. Then you have Breakthrough of the Year. So this year, Jordan Spieth took it out for, for golf. Last year, it was De- De- uh, Daniel uh, Ricciardo for Formula One racing. And then Comeback of the Year this year, again, Kiwi, uh, Dan Carter. The year before, it was another rugby union, actually, dude, Scott Berger. Um, 
and then they have sports person of the with the disability Dan Daniel Dice from Brazil for swimming this year, and then yeah, action sports person of the year. Weird. Great that he's got it. Great that he's got some recognition because he had an amazing year. But you know the other um, events that have won this, the sports that have won this award last year, it was space diving. What the hell is space diving? Maybe it's the guy who jumped out of space. What was that guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. A lot of people do that. It's a pretty competitive sport. Oh, I'll tell you. I'm going up tonight. <laughs> uh, the year before was BMX. The year before that was adventure, surfing, 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 snowboarding, surfing, aviation, yachting, surfing, speed climbing, skateboarding, sailing, Winter X Games. Kind of interesting that triathlons put him with that. What's really interesting is how much tennis wins it. If you look at the men's, the men's, so you had Dokovic, You've had Dokovic, you've had Nadal, you've had Federer for four years, Schumacher. Oh, Lance Armstrong once won it, but he's been rescinded. <laughs> and as has uh, Marion Jones. Yeah. It's somewhat surprising that Lance Armstrong didn't win it more than once. I mean, he was just crushing it. Yeah, but he was at the time, like, so the year before him, Schumacher won it. And Schumacher was their period where Schumacher won yeah. everything. Yeah. And then Tiger Woods. Mm. But it's interesting, since that time, it's only been tennis players and Usain Bolt. Mm. Which, yeah, as I said, it's quite European sport. Yeah. Dominated. No, there's no American football players there. There's no Whereas bar. in the women's side of things, it is a bit more mixed up. Mm. You know, you have a, you know golfers, tennis, skiers, yeah. athletics, swimmers. You know, so women's a bit more all over the place. Whereas guys, but you know, New Zealand rugby nation. Yeah, that's all that matters. It did get lots of PR here, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. it was great. Okay, uh, okay, John, we also have another ITU update because it seems like. Ironman isn't the only place where there's controversy in the sport. Yeah, so we a few weeks ago we were talking up Kitzbühel and they were going to do an individual time trial sort of race there, but it sounds like they've got a few politics going on and that race is no longer happening. It was going to be part of the, the World Cup circuit. Uh, it would have been fantastic to see. It is still happening, but happening in some, some form, but it's not part of the, the World Cup. So that's a bit of a shame because I think we need to keep <clears throat> innovating and uh, just a bit of a shame that one's dropped off the, the calendar but it sounds like a bit of a squabble amongst maybe the, the PR organisers nothing yeah. in there right? no there wasn't <laughs> yeah. a lot ok uh, Freddie Van Leer unfortunately he was racing in challenge how does that one Future Ventura Future Ventura he was racing there he had a four minute lead on the bike he mm. said he felt strong he was going to take out the win and then somebody ran in front of him, came off his bike and broke his collarbone. Yeah, so results there. It was a half-distance race. Uh, Andy Boucherier took it out from Will Clark and Timo Brack with Andreas Streit's fourth, so a pretty strong field. Anya Berenik took it out from Emma Billum and Emma Pooley. But yeah, that was probably the one story that I saw coming out of that was uh, Freddie Van Leer. You know, he's... He does run under, I mean, he's kind of champion, but he still goes under the radar just because he's a pretty unassuming guy and he's not the type of guy that's usually at the big races. Well, no, I suppose he is spanking it off the front. It's just, I don't know, he doesn't have that same aura about him as, as a Keenlay or, a, or a, a Fredino or something like that. He's just a unassuming guy, but guy it's, nice it's, balance. It's just no personality. Not Like, he's a nice guy, don't get me wrong, but he's not a big personality, if you know what I mean. Yeah, he's just quite modest That's and just goes out there and does it yeah. so a bit of a shame you know, it's a broken collarbone he'll be out for but it's early know. enough isn't it it's early enough for Kona but I guess where did he get in Kona last year I think he got 7th or 8th or ninth. he'll probably he'll need to go and do something to qualify somewhere and he often goes and yeah. no he would have done an Ironman surely don't know because if, if you're winning you just have to tick the box yeah so he'll have to race somewhere he'll have to do an event somewhere I wonder if he's someone I don't think he did South Africa often. We've done that once or twice. So mm. hopefully Freddie gets better back, back better soon. A few broken collarbones lately. It was him and then uh, Richard Murray broke his. He was supposed he to be racing. Did he a collarbone? No. 
Mm. Don't plan to either. Mm. Mm. I'm pretty sure he didn't plan to do it either. No. <laughs> okay. I mean, the Australian listeners out there. Oh, it's a big go. weekend for you guys this weekend. You're out there. You've got to get out and do an Ironman. It is. And it's a 2,000-point race for the pros, $50,000 prize money, and very much an, an Aussie-dominated field, a bit like Ironman New Zealand was, where we said great field, lots of really strong Kiwis and stuff here. But whilst it's an Aussie-dominated field, it's still a quality field. Oh, um, yeah. You've got Brad Carterfelt lining up, David Dallow, and then Dougal Allen could spoil the party. So he's our Kiwi dude who just blitzed it at Challenge Wanaka and uh, has really put himself at the forefront as being one of the strongest bikers in the sport right up there with you know the likes of Keenlay and, and all those other well, dudes. If you look at his predicted time, so everyone else is in the 40s and it's basically 430 is what uh, yeah. tie rating has it at. So, so he'll, he'll need that um, because he, his swim is predicted to be 56 minutes versus uh, 44 for Brad Carterfelt uh, and 46 for David Dallow. So he will be you know, somewhere in the range of 5 to 12 minutes down out of the swim but we would expect him to ride to the front and uh, and then he's just got to kind of see if he can get a bit of a buffer because Brad Cutterfelt is a, is a great runner. His tri-rating run is a, is a 2.47, um, but his, his weakness is, is the bike and so they'll need to isolate him on the bike. And David Dallow, you know, we probably don't talk about him quite as much as we have in the past, but I remember, was it last year or the year before, when he was duking it out at um, Ironman... Melbourne, and he very nearly got the the win there, and mm. he's been top ten in, in Kona, so he's quality athlete. Got Paul Ambrose there as well, Luke Bell, Tim Reed, um, still trying to iron man. He, one day if he gets it, he is just going to light it up because he's a fantastic uh, seventy point three athlete. But his expected run time based off past performances is only three eleven, and he's and he, much better than that. He's one it? of the fastest runners yeah. in the sport. Yeah. So a good strong field, and we've got age grouper Levi Maxwell, who I think we've had on the show before, making his maybe his debut. He's not ranked there. Uh, and then the girls' side of things, yeah, we keep saying this. It'll be interesting to see how Gina Crawford goes because she hasn't really performed exceptionally well of late. So she is ranked number one with Beth Gerds second and Michelle Bremer, who I think is the defending champion if I'm correct from last year's year she went 938 last year uh, and Paul Ambrose is your defending male champ so good luck to all you Aussies remember yeah. to slap another shrimp on the barbie when you're done Patrick Verne he, he killed this race for a few years didn't oh, he Patrick Verne was great actually I should get he him won wrote, didn't he he did he won the year that we that we, we were both there yeah pretty sure should get him on on legends so he's um yeah, he's a fantastic athlete. Legends is going to be coming out next day or two. And remember, we've got to see that last week. We just didn't get around to it. I was away. And we've got a Blue 70 Helix on auctions for you guys in the Northern Hemisphere in Europe or all the States. So if you're getting ready for your season, you want a great deal on Blue 70 Helix, check it out. Did they change the course for Ironman Australia? Has it changed locations? Ah, uh, yeah, it has. Yeah. Where, so where was it previously? We used to be in that place, Foster, which we don't have a clue. Or Forrester. Or Forrester, oh. wherever that place is in Australia. <laughs> We're just going to get a hundred angry hemos now. Yeah. <laughs> just outside of somewhere. Perfect lead-in, Bevan. What is that? Sponsor. Sponsor. So for all you Aussies, Aussies. That have have done. I mean, Australia in the many years that it has been on, it's been going for over thirty years now. Um, it did used to be in Forster, and if you go into the Ironman.com and look for, want to look for your results, you'll find quite a few dating back to I think around 205, which might have been when it shifted. I feeling it maybe it sh- I think that maybe that was when it was shifted. But you go into Athlinks and it goes all the way back to 1985. Is that the first year? Probably. I, I'm pretty sure it would have been. Yeah. Good old Grant Boswell. 
Took it out. Pretty impressive. 909? 909. He smashed it. He was a 15-minute win as the domination of Dojo. Good old Mark Dragan yep. came in second, and Stephen Foster came in third. And those are three big names in the history of Australia. Really? Driving. Tell me about yeah. it. I don't, know. Well, I, haven't, I don't know a lot about each of them individually, but those were three guys that used to spank it in Australia on, on a very regular basis. Really? So, but the other interesting thing on that one was Aaron Baker coming in eighth place. Eighth place overall. Oh, the nine, boys would have been hating it. 9.53. And uh, she didn't win by that. And it was a good girls field. You had Patricia Puntos there in 10.34. So she did win by quite a bit, actually. She won by uh, nearly 40, 40 minutes. But Patricia Puntos was uh, was an absolute legend uh, of her Kind time of before Erin, well. wasn't she? Yeah, yeah her, the Pintos twins were the yes Pintos twins. Her sister was there as well in uh, third, third place in ten fifty three. But this is back in eighty five. Well, we're John, that's what thirty years ago, yeah. Yeah, man. So this thing, you go into athlinks and they've got all the results. Uh, I think pretty much all the way back to eighty five. They haven't got eighty six, and there's maybe the odd year missing here or there. And I think it's only so they only had about hundred competitors. Yeah. This is 85. Wow. Most people didn't even know what triathlon So the last was. place got got 1446. Unless there's more underneath this, but I'm pretty sure this is, this is the list. So. And this is a cool thing. And this is a downfall. You know, it's a real downfall of not just Ironman, but of other events. You know, if they disappear, all the stuff is, uh, is gone. You know, and so back in 1990, Rod Sedara, another legend of Australian triathlon, uh, finished in 8.58.20, win by four minutes from D. Collins and C. Southwell. How about this? There were only nine, so 100, 96 competitors, only nine females. Mm. So the sport's definitely changed in that way, hasn't it? Yeah. Overall, yeah. So 105 altogether, actually, sorry. So nine females, 96 males. The average time was 12.18, which is yeah. probably about the same as still today, isn't it? Mm. Average time, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, pretty interesting. Cool. And in, in, in 1990, they've had some great athletes over there, and I'm in Australia in that race. And, and it was so good back in that day when there wasn't that many races, and you could really just focus on a few. Like 1990, they had Holger Lorenz take it out from um, Peter Kropko and Pauli Kuru with legendary Bruce Thomas from Australia, and fourth and Jason Shortish in, in fifth. Uh, 8:27 there for Holger Lorenz, winning by two minutes. Um, yeah, it's really so. They've got this other thing on here when you go to statistics. See, ethics rock. So you look at the race in 1985. They had 105 competitors. Then they don't have 86, but 87. It goes up to 165, 254, 88, 300. So it's just got this nice progression, which just gets bigger and bigger every year. Like by the time we get to 95, we're up to 722. Keeps going up, keeps going up. By 2000, we're up to 1000, basically 1200. Then by 2003, it gets up to around 1500. And then it caps at that, really. Yeah. It hasn't really grown since that point. Mm. So this kind of nice trajectory from the early days up to 2003. And then from there, it's very much just kind of stayed the same throughout mm. the years. Interesting stat. Norman Stadler took it out in uh, 2000, which is uh, cool. So the, and Macca took it out multiple times. Chrissy went over there and took it out a few times as well. Well, so. she's the only person to go sub nine as a female. Mm. So... Great racing. Uh, good luck to all you guys racing Ironman Australia. I think it's on next week's show. Um, I've lined up an interview with a guy who's doing his 100th Ironman there in Australia. Oh, really? Mm. Well, what's cool is you can rank the race in good old uh, Charles Nickel, listener mm. of the show. All black, I think. All black with Charles Nickel. Two and a half, <laughs> two and a half stars out of five. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, the overall event was a three. The execution was a two. Course layout was a three. City venue three. 
uh, swag and award only a one. Crowd and atmosphere are three. He's not very positive on that race. <laughs> Maybe he had a bad day because there's lots of other five stars. So there you go. So check it all out, athlinks.com, and get you a good history of these races that uh, sometimes aren't on the Ironman website. Okay, so last week's discussion of the week, we had a discussion, and I'm just going to pull up here. Jumbo, what was the discussion? It was really around, are we going to see a bit of a renaissance of you know club-type races, really basic things. You, you turn up and you pay... 50 bucks for your entry fee and you get just a race that's it you just turn up and you get a race it was just because i was talking to the old mountain snail on the i am talk 10 year anniversary weekend did you know that it's 10 years this year that we've been doing the show really really yeah <laughs> I was, one thing i was going to do is try to find out how many hours we'd put together but then i was yeah. <laughs> geez it'd be getting up towards a thousand easy i reckon yeah because we've done 513 shows and probably nowadays we're probably average an hour and a half Plus, but the good old days, the early days were sort of a lot shorter. But we've done way more shows than that because of all the yes. Kona super specials and stuff. Yeah. So I think we've done a thousand hours. Yeah. Chrissy McKinlay kicks it all off, given the positive feedback on the Sea to Sky, that's the Sports Med Sea to Sky Challenge. Um, I would think the club event scene is having a renaissance, but it is the athletes who have done the Ironman branded race type thingy and have gone full circle back to less expensive, more grassroots, honest course type races. The appeal of an M-Dot shirt is probably still a bigger draw for most of the newbies to the sport. Good okay, good old Wayne Ross. That's a good name. I love when people have two first names as their names. <laughs> you know, Rain, Wayne Ross. Yeah. Uh, the Hibiscus Coast Club used to run two or three small tries each year around the local area. 20 to 40 people, 5 to $10 each as a fundraiser. couple of marshals and fluoro jackets on key street corners. Changes to Auckland Council rules meant we no longer run any. I-M-O, what does it mean? In my opinion. Oh, in my opinion, not lobbying the government for a sensible set of rules to operate a small event is the biggest mistake NZ Tri have made and the primary reason why Tri participation numbers are declining. Andrew Diplodocus-Kerr, health and safety costs seem prohibitive as an overhead for small events. I can see a renaissance in wildcat adventure with loose race themes as an alternative to bypass the administration. Okay, Lucy Francis has got, uh, we have a great grassroots event in North London, the Hempstead Duathlon, which is a swim and run event held inside Hempstead Heath Park. It has no website and you find out it through word of mouth. Wow, that is old school. (laughs) Can you imagine not having a website? It's organised by the lifeguards at the swim ponds and open air Lido in the park. Duathlon consists of three laps of freezing, which you just got about the race. All very bonkers. Takes place on the first Sunday in September. Entry fee is £5 and you can enter as an individual or a team for f- five i usually have my swimming and running club go head to head we also try form super teams with the best runners and swimmers from both she's got some photos as well nearly every year beatrice month and her sister isabel i to use mouton oh yeah no i'm gonna get them on legends uh some stage that would be great okay. well i stars in top five Kona finishes come to London and race at this fun event cool Nick Rose uh, Nick Rose Nick Nose Rose I think a lot of clubs would jump at the chance to race against each other more regularly in the UK we have at least two national level race days the national relays uh, and now the national club champs but we already have issues on the political level with people's running affiliations as first or second club and I think this is a lot this type of allegiance would cause issues with who belongs to what. I think clubs would have to create a new structure to accommodate new talent as the competition becomes more of an allegiance based membership for race squads as approved 
as opposed to participation. Would enjoy a regular race series in the UK though. Okay, Tim Ford's got plenty of club races being held in Sydney. Hills Tri Club have both triathlons in summer and duathlons in the winter, which is a good idea. James the Wise One Botel, I think he's got some good points here. That this is about carving out a niche. Smaller races that are shorter, easy to participate in, close and early season get good attendance, uh, cheaper helps. So do those that are iconic and offer something different. Nobody should be under any illusion that making money is uh, making money, uh, you know, nobody should be under any illusions. Making money is tough, and organising an event is time-consuming. I can tell you about that. Michael Good Scott uh, in Bahrain, we see massive inflation uh, fluctuations in Tri Club. We have 90 odd members take part in the IM at 70.3 Bahrain in December. Now down to 20 actively training members who are doing European races in the summer. Last one, Brent Johnson, uh, Mandura Tri Club in Western Australia, run nine triathlons through the year. Five bucks entry for race members, which is great. Includes super sprints, enduros, sprint distances. So good luck to you people racing in Mandura Tri Club. That's a bargain, five bucks a race. Join your thoughts. Uh, I think in most of these cases, the, sort of the, the reason this discussion came up was, firstly I was talking to the Mountain Snail, and I know that their series in the Wellington, the Scorching series, that was sort of their, their guy who'd been driving that for years and years was sort of stepping aside, so I thought, what's going to happen there? Is anybody going to step up to the plate? And also the same thing was sort of applying in Nelson, where I go off and do my sprint races, and both of those, I think, are, especially the Nelson ones, are very much grassroots stuff and I like going now the guy who did, did uh, I mean yeah, Alan, Alan Bryson yeah. good luck Alan you're racing uh, Ironman West, uh, Australia this weekend yeah, good luck so yeah I think in most I think there will be a bit of a renaissance and I think people need to get off their high horse in terms of going and doing just branded races because so often you know if I get athletes coming to me for a program I say come along and do one of the JD duathlons or something they're just it's basically a race and you're probably not going to get a prize and yep. we may even do away with prizes altogether to be honest it's just uh, that takes a lot of work to do that and they come in and go oh that was good fun you know yeah. didn't didn't have to tape for it you just rock up on on the Sunday go and do it it's a good hard training session and they go oh you know they're so focused on going to the event having massive stress around it tapering for it being a big logistical exercise and then you just go along and do a race for the sake of doing a race so I think there will be a bit of a renaissance but as always it takes that one driver in your area to basically push these things push these things through so you know and Nelson they had this dude and he had a little team behind him and Wellington they had this little dude it just takes one person in your club to basically say yep I'll do it and uh, yeah and that, but they need a bit of support if you've got that person in your club in your area who's putting on cheap events make sure that you you know you try to help them out as much as you can because uh, it does take up a lot of time so I think I think we will see a bit of renaissance and I hope we'll see a renaissance because it just sucks when you see you want to see kids out there racing a bit more and it's bloody expensive when you've got to go pay 100 bucks entry fee every time you go and race if not a hell of a lot more so um, yeah I hope we do well also I think the thing is and we've talked about this a lot in the past is that the problem with a lot of triathletes is we just don't race enough mm, you know whereas if you're a cyclist you can race every weekend and mm. there's just that race hardness you get from racing a lot and sure if you're you're training for an Ironman you're not going to do many Ironman races but just racing it just teaches you something about yourself that you can only get from racing Mm. and uh, you know and when we lose those smaller events we lose those opportunities to to develop ourselves in ways that we wouldn't have considered otherwise so you know it's important but it, it is that thing of you do need people who are going to be selfless with their time Mm. and, and just for the greater good of the community so and also I think one thing is and I'm being a total hypocrite here because I never got involved with the triathlon community in Christchurch when I was racing but 
if you are going to get involved, if you are going to use the, the resources, make sure you give back to the resources. You know, mm. if they are going to be cheap $5 races, it means someone's standing on that corner one weekend. So maybe one weekend you give up some time to give mm. back because that's the only way it works, really. Exactly. Isn't it? Uh, do you want to do Age Group of the Week? Yep. Uh, Ch- chuck some music in. Okay, here's some music. Music now. Group of the week. week, and there's Mount Snail sent through this one. You guys, looking forward to coming see you guys tomorrow. Oh, we'll see him tomorrow. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's gonna be cool. <laughs> nice hey, to come in the cook shape. Yes, Did you see that? Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, no wetsuit. No wetsuit. Yeah, there's bright bloody togs on. Yeah, there's Iron Man talk cap on. I am talk cap on. I put yeah. the photo on the website this week. Pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah, no, he was no. lucky. He said he got really good tides. Yes, they're saying yeah. it normally takes about nine hours and took about five and a half. Mm. It's been like having a tailwind on the bike. How far was about twenty k? I think it was. I'm not sure. Pretty impressive. Mm. Well done, Mount Snail. That's bloody awesome. You might be a Mount Snail, but you're a, a sea fish. Yeah, there you go. Um, I would, here's an important age group of the week from Tony in Canada. We'll, with input from all of us, the rest of us in Wellington, have loaded onto the website too. Daryl was the organiser of the Scorching Triathlon Series in Wellington. The Scorchers have been a great way of getting first-timers into the sport and has given the Wellington Triathlon community a local race series with over 100 races now completed in over 13 years. As you know, John, putting on an event is not easy and the rewards are not really financial. The events are always well-run, non-pretentious and have a really fun family feel. This is also because the first, the Angel 1 Daryl and Angel 2 his sister Kerry and his parents were the driving force behind the events. Daryl also brought back the Wellington half. While I'd moved away from the city this year, the overwhelming response is that it was a great event. It was real hard half and immediately attended, uh, sorry, it Attained. Attained iconic status from all those who competed and spectated. He actually has a quite a distinguished age group of pedigree in Ironman. Went 14.57 in 2003 at Ironman New Zealand and then bagged a sub-14 in 2007, 8, 9. He did a Taupo Wanaka double in 2010 and 11, rather impressively posting a one-hour PB in Taupo and then two more Wanakas in 2012 and 13. He's done plenty of other iconic races including Rote in 2009. He was proud to tell us all that the year he did his PB he did four weeks of training nice that's, that's, that's how you do a team if you want an hour PB just do B- four bugger weeks bugger the John used some three year plan that's right or the marathon four, four what weeks. was your marathon what was that, what was that from the oh, what did remember. we call it I can't remember. Uh, Daryl is also a keen triathlete himself, but always seems to put this on the back burner to ensure others have the opportunity to race. Many of us had our first triathlon experiences at the Scorchers. As you mentioned on the show, it looks like the Scorchers may no longer be, with Daryl unable to make a living from putting on the races. When he announced that he was putting up the stumps on the Scorchers, Shane Hooks, organiser of the Rotorua Half Ironman, which Daryl has raced every year, posted this. This country had a triathlon hall of fame. I put the name Bloomfield alongside Wells, Baker, Carter and Rose. 13 years, 100 races. Without Darrells, the Darrells, there would be no Carters, there no races for juniors to learn the craft. That's a whooping chunk of Wellington triathlon right there. Here's to a good man, our sport thanks you Darrell. Yeah, so great work Darrell. Never met Darrell, haven't done a scorching race, but I've always seen that series as they've done some innovative things you know with the, with the bringing back the half but one of the things I really like that they did and I'm not sure when they started this um, but I noticed they did a, a how many triathlons can you do in 
whatever it was in the morning or the f- or a four hour period. So you just rock up and they had, oh, a, really? they had a little course mapped out just and you do, do swim bike run, swim bike run, swim bike run, swim bike run. You just keep going and do as many as many as you like in the morning and things like that are, are really cool. And as has been pointed out, you know, this is where our juniors get their experience and kids can get involved. And, and I think for, for all race directors out there, that's uh, the... F- should be a big focus is having that there's something for everybody at each race you know yeah. having a kids race having a novice race having a, a more serious race and, and i think that's the way forward so they 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 act as your little feeder development events and um yeah so a lot of nice community, work, but, you know like daryl's obviously in his family are pretty great people who pretty selfless and i'm mm. you know like and it's not selfless because i'm sure they get like a lot back just from seeing what they've created and what they've brought to their sport uh, but it's 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 sad that you lose someone like Daryl to the community. He's not dead. No, but no, but to the sport, <laughs> yes. you know, like you know, because man, that's a big part of why Wellington Triathlon and what replaces yeah. that. Well, it seems like maybe yeah. not much. So, uh, Daryl, mate, and uh, your family, bloody rock stars, and you guys right. are a trip, trip of the, of the week. week. Love your work. Okay, John, but we're going to interview. Jim Vance, so the book was Triathlon 2.0, Data-Driven Performance Training. And for you guys that have just got a power meter or you're thinking about getting a power meter or you've got a GPS watch and you see all these numbers, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. If you hear me talking about things on training peaks with TSS or FTP and all that sort of stuff and you don't have a clue what we're talking about, um, equally, the guys that are, do know what that stuff is but still struggling to interpret it or, or looking at post-analysis, uh, race analysis, post-season analysis. This book is uh, it looks like a fantastic resource. So here is Jim. Okay, guys, um, we're always happy to have experts on the show, and that's going to be one of the themes for this year is getting more coaches in here and, and talking about specific areas of training. And one of those that a lot of you guys love to wrap yourselves around or some of you are just starting to get into is you know the analytical side of training looking at numbers um, using your gadgets to make sure you go faster and uh, a guy who's just come out with the book triathlon 2.0 data driven training is Jim Vartz he's also got a bunch of other books we can discuss uh, towards the end of the this sort of interview but uh, Jim welcome along to the show yeah great thanks for having me John Tell us a bit about your background because you're a pretty, pretty handy athlete and I understand you were a teacher as well and we seem to have a number of coaches these days which are, sort of have an educational background. Yeah, uh, I was a school teacher for six years at my degree. Uh, it's from University of Nebraska here in the States and uh, was in uh, teaching physical health and ed- education K-12 through and just kind of when I, when I left teaching to race triathlon professionally, uh, I still, you know, a lot of people came up to me and you know wanted to know about my success, and and I very quickly started to realize that I was able to teach a lot of people pretty well, and just that education background in terms of understanding how people learn and how to present ideas and skills and and just you know uh, new concepts uh, to people in manners that help them progress. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I. I've done. I mean, I even run a junior triathlon team, and so that's kind of gone back to my teaching roots. Uh, I also coach high school swimming and uh, things. But yeah, in my day, I was I was kind of a sh- trying to be a short course guy. I was kind of an Xterra guy as well, and then got into Ironman, and yeah, had some success there. So uh, it was good. I retired in 2010, and just have uh, kind of decided I was ready to just start committing more to coaching and helping other athletes I was kind of done with uh, 
the selfish endeavor of uh, training myself to, and uh, mm-hmm. and and things. So I uh, wanted to. Uh, I really felt a connection in terms of helping people. So that's that's kind of where it all where it's all led me to. Cool. So in terms of um, you know, for, there's a lot of people out there these days that are you know just just purchased their first power meter or just sort of starting to get into to GPS tracking, and it's um. For those that aren't, you know, really big statisticians or have engineering backgrounds, it can be pretty, pretty daunting um, as to to where to start. So, have you got any sort of tips for those that are just starting their their journey into to data, where they can um, really start from? Sure. Well, I think first and foremost, just be consistent with it and collecting it. Mm. And and you, I mean, no one. Uh, no one that I ever know that I've ever known has picked up like a GPS watch and suddenly from one run, you know, oh my goodness, it's changed my entire outlook on training. It's like, no, that's, that's not really what it should do. It should kind of give you that, that 10,000 foot view hmm. of, of how your training's progressing. Um, in fact, one of the things I write in Triathlon 2.0 is, you know, data's great, but, you know, you know, numbers, you know, numbers are only numbers. They, they have to have meaning. So, and that's really what I try to do in the book is get that, get them to have meaning because once, once numbers bring real meaning and value to an athlete, their, their confidence rises. Hmm. And when their confidence rises, now they're a better performing athlete. So even it can be the most simple thing of, is my pace improving? And, you know, for a certain route that maybe, you know, everybody kind of has their neighborhood run route out their door. So, you know, being able to track that, um, is that improving? You know, that's the most base level to, you know, to other areas. Maybe they want to start really recognizing some weaknesses. Maybe their run cadence is, is down, you know, is very slow and they, they need to try to work on that or, uh, you know, simple things. So it, I start with the simple and uh, certainly, I go to the more complex. But uh, I think I think the great thing is, you know, no matter where you're at, even if you don't use a power meter, you, you know, Triathlon 2.0 will show you how to use uh, a GPS and heart rate monitor very simply in terms of tracking uh, progression over time. Hmm. So maybe talk us through the structure of the book because one of the things that I really liked about it is. It kind of has something for everybody. For the people that are just starting out, you know, if, if we talked about acute training load or chronic training load or TSS, they're just going to be going, what the hell are you talking about? Um, so I think that's one really nice thing with the book. It goes through that. But maybe just talk how, you, how you've structured in the book and um, what, what's, it sort of, what's, it, what's in there for, the, for the, all, the, all levels of TriGeek out there. Sure. So it, it starts off with just a basic introduction of uh, kind of the technology that's out there right now. You know, cycling technology, running technology, swimming technology, um, and then kind of from there helps the athlete really kind of define themselves. And you know, that was kind of the whole whole purpose of the book was was to help athletes use data that's relevant to them and and thresholds of data. You know, it's like. You know, well, if you think, well, uh, Sebastian Keenley has a has a threshold wattage of you know, 390 watts. Well, I'm at 180. You know, that doesn't really apply to me. It's like, no, no, you're right. It doesn't apply to you. This does. So, really, really helping athletes assess themselves, where they're at, and and what's you know, what they what they need to accomplish uh, via metrics. Uh, based on their age, their gender, and their goals. So, if they want to just be an Ironman finisher, or if they're a 
40-year-old female who wants to go to Kona or 70.3 world. So really just assessing where they're at. Then it, then it goes into basically planning the training year, really understanding, uh, you know, how, how structure, you know, how to structure your year, um, using some training analysis software and, you know, understanding TSS and stuff like that. Um, and then into the different phases, and we, I kind of talk a little bit about how people commonly have trained in the past, you know, mm-hmm. linear periodization or, and things, and I'm like, now you don't, you know, you don't need to do that necessarily. You, you can actually create your own plan as you go and just use the data to kind of tell you how you're, how you're improving. Uh, and then I get into tapering and peaking and all that, and, and then really a lot of where I think, where I think the book really scores with all all athletes is just the post, you know, the, the post-race, post-season evaluations. How, how did the race go? How did the season go? You know, what trends do we see um, in the training? Maybe that were good trends, good resp- training responses, but also where were, where were the, like, I'm sure we've all had, where were their bad training responses, such as injury or just great fatigue or lack of improvement. So that's pretty much how it goes. Uh, just kind of takes you through. Cool. So, um, in terms, you know, you mentioned before one of the key things for people starting out is uh, is obviously just capturing capturing that data and building up a library library of data. What are the sort of main analytical tools that that you recommend people use? Well, when you say tool, are you talking analysis? Or are you talking more soft? I mean, I'd imagine you're fairly aligned with with Training Peaks in terms of you know where to go in Training Peaks to to look at things, or are there other sort of software applications that people should consider? Well, yeah, there's getting to be you know there's getting to be some very complex ones. Uh, you know, Golden Cheetah uh, is another one. WKO. The new 4.0 is, you know, if you're a numbers guy and you're kind of really into deep analytics, I mean, you can do some crazy stuff with that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's even, you know, WKO 3.0. Uh, but I, I tend to find, you know, Training Peaks is really doing as really up their game in terms of their online, uh, you know, uh, analysis. Uh, even the mobile app, believe it or not, in the in my in the book, I even take some uh, take some photos, literally some screenshots off my phone, mm. <laughs> because the mobile app there can do some do some really good stuff. But um, you know, I think the most simple thing that you can do, athletes can do, is just start looking at you know what are at, what are my average paces uh, that I'm actually doing, or my average watts per week. Are those going up? You can average all those out and and set it over a plot of time and say. Okay, what's going? You know, what's really happening from a big picture view? Is that trend up or down or flat, or is there no is there no trend to it at all? It it has you know it's stale. Um, I also I, one of the things I like to do too with my athletes is I look I like to look at what's the total TSS per week that mm-hmm. the athlete is actually under, um, and track that. That's that's one of my favorite charts because I get to, I get a chance to really see like okay what. What load is is this athlete really responding to, or or even post postseason analysis going back and looking and saying, you know, wow, we we really they really responded well to this this range of TSS for the week. If you find that range, well, now suddenly you can be confident that, you know, I don't really need to probably go out of this range because if I go above it, uh, I'm probably risking injury. If I if I go below it, I probably won't see the gains that I want to see. So. Mm-hmm. Those are probably my two uh, my two favorite. Just that I think every athlete can do. They can do it by sport. They can do it by you know totality. Um, 
but uh, I think those are those are probably two of the best. Cool. So one of the things um, you also mentioned in the book, and, and, and obviously a lot of your analysis can be done through different forms of charts, but one of the, the main ones on training peaks is the performance management chart. So for people that when they hear PMC or performance management chart, they wonder what the hell you're talking about. Um, maybe can you explain where athletes should start with a performance management chart and, and really what's it all, ta- what's it telling us? Sure, sure. Um well, if you think about it, fitness is just the ability to tolerate stress. That's really all it is. So, um, you know, when when we can, when, when we can define intensity, we can we can and and obviously compare how long or look at how long an athlete uh, has has been under that intensity, the duration. We can get a sense of how how high of a training stress is on the athlete. So, obviously, the more the better an athlete is, the more training stress they can handle. Um, so really a PMC chart, that's all it does. It kind of gives you a snapshot of, of what, or, or, you know, a map that, of how things have been in terms of your ability to tolerate stress. Has it, has it increased? Is it, is it, or is it decreasing or, or is it staying flat and stale? So that's really what, what a PMC chart does. Um, and then based upon that, you can, you can, you can kind of hold, you know, hold a certain stress level. While still just kind of, uh, or a, a certain tolerance of stress uh, by resting or recovering, you can even you can even really begin to track and see, wow, did I did I really throw in too big of a load at this point in time, and and then respond with injury or sickness? Um, you know, you can even begin to see, well, did it, was was my training stress actually preparing me for for what I want? Um, and then I like some of the things you can really do, and unfortunately you can't do this uh, uh, in the online version of Training Peaks, but in the mobile app you can, believe it or not, on your phone. <laughs> you can actually take, uh, you can select, uh, you know, so many top performances within a within a certain stretch of time. So you can say, you know, in the last year, what are my ten best, you know, sixty minute pace outputs? Where do they fall? Uh, or my 30-minute pace uh, outputs or 30-minute power outputs, where do they fall? And as you begin to kind of see where those fall, uh, and you can choose other durations that are specific to whatever your training focus is or that you want to see. You you can can do whatever you want. But you can kind of see where those fall and get a sense of, wow, am I improving? Am I not improving? If you've got a ton of of top – Top performances for the year happening right in the you know present or recent recent past, say the last couple of weeks of your training, you know that you're 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 training spot on. You're you're responding extremely well, and that kind of goes back to the whole point of confidence, uh, making sure an athlete is excited about training. They're they're seeing the reward, um, and that's one of the things that I, uh, I probably one of the biggest mistakes for those that are really into PMC charts. I think is. People kind of get stuck on this CTL. I got to get my CTL, the chronic training load, which is basically your your long term training stress average that you can that you can hold. People want to get that number up, but it's like that that number doesn't really mean that much in terms of performance. It's just saying what's the, what's the load on your body. Mm. Um, if if you can't really perform under that load, it's not very helpful. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, so I'm I'm big on you know highlight where your best performances are that that show a response to the training that you're doing within that PMC chart. So you can look at okay, what is the training stress level that I'm actually under, 
and what is my response to that training stress in terms of performance. So, so maybe um, explain some of the other things, the, the terms, and I know you do this in the book, but for people that are listening now, um, the other terms and um, measures that you see in that performance ma- management chart, because for a lot of people, I think they just see them and they just go, I see the graph and it's kind of pretty and I sort of understand <laughs> it, but I don't actually know what each of those lines going across there really means. Sure. So we talked about chronic training load. That's like a long-term average of training stress, which is about six weeks. That's kind of the default. You can change it, but I I tend to find it's not really uh, a good idea to change it. Um, So it says, what's the uh, on a daily average of uh, 42 days, so six weeks, what's the training stress score that you've had on average for those last 42 days? That's chronic training load. That's long-term. Acute training load is what's a shorter time span, the more recent future. So that's that defaults at seven days. So, so if you've had a long-term training stress of uh, average of let's say 50, 50 training stress score, so or TSS as we call it, and in the last seven days you've had you've you've been at a hundred, well per day, well that that's a pretty high. We would expect like okay, you're you're. In the last seven days, you've doubled what the previous six-week daily average is. So we would expect that you would be rather fatigued. Hmm. So we call that acute training load. We commonly call it uh, or say that it represents fatigue that you're under. And then the difference between your, your, your long-term uh, training stress and your short-term training stress kind of gives you an idea of how fresh or rested you are so and ready to perform. So... Um, a perfect example uh, might be the like the day after an Ironman. You know, you've got a lot of fitness, but you certainly can't get out, get up, and go do another Ironman the next <laughs> day at a high level. You're not fresh and ready to go. Nice. Um, in terms of, you mentioned a couple of the errors athletes make when looking at the performance management chart, but also, you know, I guess um, for, for a lot of athletes, their fitness and their thresholds are going to be changing through the season. And <clears throat> unless they update, the, update those numbers and training peaks or whatever platform they're going to be using, then the performance management chart might not necessarily be giving them an, an accurate view of their, their sort of fitness. So if your FTP has improved, you know, 20 watts over the duration of the season but you haven't updated it in training peaks it's probably not going to give you a, a, a clear indication of where you're at yeah absolutely you've, you've got to stay on top of that but I tend to find that as athletes use more data uh, use data more regularly um, they can begin to see see trends and know and understand like you know uh, I, I'm, I'm probably higher than, than my you know my FTP needs to be adjusted um, I know Back in my day, I, I could pretty much before a test guess within about three to five watts what my what my threshold power was going to be, or or even uh, you know go to a, go to a race a 10k or a half marathon. I could generally almost you know almost within 10 seconds guess my time mm-hmm. that I was probably going to be just because I had a pretty good sense of my fitness. Um, so you know some athletes can adjust that accordingly, and, and uh, one of the things I really like about Training Peaks it, it can kind of give you a little little. Uh, update a little notice like hey the, your numbers indicate that you should probably change your threshold to this recommended value hmm. so that's one of the things i like about them so uh, it's uh it's a handy tool because certainly uh, if you're going to use data and you're going to make a lot of training decisions based on it you want to make sure that it's that it's giving you as accurate of a picture as possible 
Mm. And just on on that, keeping it keeping it accurate, you know. Um, from a coaching perspective, you know, you, you probably know now, I think you've got a couple of kids and, and I'd imagine a number of the athletes you coach have got busy lives and families and work stresses and, and training doesn't always go perfectly and, you know, you miss sessions. How, how do you sort of build um, tr- stress from outside of training into into sort of your data management or the performance management chart? You know, if you go four days without any sleep, you know, that's going to have a fairly big impact on, on your training. Is there ways you can sort of build that in and factor it into your overall um, sort of stress on your body? I think that's difficult to do. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, I, that's where I think logging is key for athletes and really just, you know, even not just logging, hey, here's how the session went, but logging, you know, what's going on in their life. Um, you know, you can you can even keep a graph maybe of, uh, you know, stress levels, mm. you know, score on, score on a scale of 1 to 10, how stressed are you today, mm. you know, and you just start, you know, you can even do it weekly and you can kind of see like, okay, mentally, you know, and this you know, make it outside of outside of training. Um, you know, tracking those types of metrics. I know even within Training Peaks, you can do that. Um, so it, it becomes a it becomes a very uh, it's a very subjective thing too, mm. because sometimes people don't even recognize the stress they're under mm. until performance really starts to decline. Mm. Um, you know, but that's that's one of the things too that I love about data is I can generally tell um, when an athlete is 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 about to about to hit a plateau. And we can kind of, and we can address it. Um, usually, it deals with uh, some type of, uh, you know, motivational things. Tend to, I tend to notice motivation maybe beginning to decline, or, or, uh, or things like that. Hopefully, even hit, you even recognize it before that happens. Mm. Um, because once an athlete really understands and knows that they're uh, that they're kind of in a hole, it's it's a lot harder to get out of it. So, so really, it, you know, I, I think athletes have to be smart in terms of prioritizing recovery as well. Um, you know, so many athletes worry about the X's and O's and the, the specific numbers of a workout, but then in the recovery, they, they, you know, they, they don't give it any priority and there's no specifics in terms of making sure they get to bed at a certain time or try to get certain hours of sleep or, you know, or whatever. So it's, it becomes a very subjective thing. That uh, that athletes kind of have to look at, but certainly there are some tools. But again, you know, data without context or meaning is is not really uh, is not really very valuable data. Main one to remember, guys: happy wife, happy life. And if your yes. wife, maybe if your wife has a scoring chart, and if she's happy, charts are things are going to be going <laughs> along nicely. Um, okay, that sort of touches on um, the performance management chart. Maybe um, is, is there anything else sort of in the the latter stage of the book? Because so much of it is is um, around your your post race, um, post season analysis. Um, maybe some of the areas that perhaps people haven't looked at before. You know, I, I know you've got. Um, some of the sort of uh, the matrix things in there. Um, uh, what is it when you do sort of cluster graphs and things like that? Is there any areas that perhaps people haven't 
looked at because I know for a lot of athletes you know they'll go into training peaks or whatever application they're using look at the individual session um, as you said sort of look at, at averages or maybe look at particular lap segments and see whether there's any decoupling or anything like that um, but I think a lot of areas where people don't go into is some of that um, yeah that sort of those cluster graphs and things like that sort of the higher level stuff so is there any any areas there that you really like and that you think athletes often ignore? Well, I think I think really athletes looking at how they race, you know, um, you know, is there a, is there a certain style of racing? I, I have one athlete that I that I coach in Switzerland that, uh, you know, he got the book and he he was like, man, I'm uh, doing this. I really went back and started looking at all my cadences and my races and you know my cadences that I trained at never matched with what I raced at, mm-hmm. and I'm like. Yeah, that's that's probably not a good thing. <laughs> you know, you're not really preparing specifically. So, you know, one of one of the things I I didn't did in the book is really looked at Luke McKenzie yeah. and did a quadrant analysis, which really just taught. Which it's just kind of a fancy way of to simplify it. I would say it's 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 how he pedals. Is he a masher? Is he a spinner? Is he kind of somewhere in between? And when he broke through a, a couple of years ago. At uh, at Kona and got second, you know, uh, he had I had three years of Kona files on him, yeah. and he had three entirely different approaches to the race in terms of the bike leg. One year was a was was in like the mid eighties, uh, mid to high eighties. The another year he was in the low seventies, and then the other you know in the year that he broke through he was in the mid to high nineties mm. uh, in terms of cadence. So. Really, just looking at that from from how he did it and and kind of what his response was uh, in the race and and things. So it it was uh, it kind of I I think when you see it, you realize, man, he he really made a dramatic change to his whole training approach mm-hmm. um, uh, by by understanding more so how you know how he pedaled and and what you know how he responded to that training uh, as well as to the demands of the race with with a higher cadence. So. You know, and and for anybody that's listening, I'm not necessarily saying you need to go to higher. Everybody should be at you know higher cadence or whatever. The whole thing, the whole point about the book is is to give athletes ways to kind of look at assessing themselves uh, in different areas, in every area, even from their their race planning. You know, okay, maybe you're not, maybe you're overlooking something in your planning. Um, maybe maybe you're planning for one thing and then you're executing something different in the race. Um, and so your, your, your perception does not match the reality and, and being able to connect those. That's, you know, people are going to, people are going to read the book and, and I'm sure there's going to be people that don't agree with everything in it. And, and that's fine. I have no problem with that. I, I totally understand that, but I, I don't think anybody can pick up this book and say, I didn't get anything out of that Mm. because I really do cover so many areas and, and, uh, and questions that athletes should ask themselves. You know what was what was the peak CTL you reached last year? Okay, uh, what about in other years? You know uh, when you performed well versus when you didn't perform well. Is there a difference? Okay, if there was, you know there's there's a clear sign of what you probably need to do to be successful. If there wasn't, then it wasn't. It was probably the training decisions on the day. You know, and and what the focus of the training was. Yeah, or maybe that maybe like you know you go back to a stressful time in your life. Maybe you were going through a divorce and. Yeah, you were training hard, but all that all that personal stress just kind of kind of took its toll on you. So, mm. really, really, the whole book is about is about bringing 
bringing individual meaning to every athlete who reads it and giving them the tools to be able to say, okay, uh, wow, look at this metric really stands out to me. Like, wow, I really need to address this or, or wow, I made a mistake here or there. That, that cost me. You, you talked before about um, having some some numbers in there, you know, but, um, in terms of watts per kilogram and stuff like that. If you want to finish an Ironman or qualify for a particular event, some some ballpark numbers. So, you know, so many people want to try to get to qualify uh, qualify for Kona. So, how did you sort of go about um, collating the data and 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 what are some of those numbers for the different? You know, uh, males, females, and roughly rough sort of categories in terms of if someone wants to get to Kona, what do they need to be sort of pumping out on the bike? Sure. So you know, it was it was interesting as people kind of uh, came up to me, and you know, so many athletes have that dream. I want to I want to qualify for Kona, and and what I found was there was just a lot of people that really had no idea how good these athletes were that were qualifying. Mm, yeah. um, so. You know, for a while I was kind of the jerk, like, uh, you don't stand a chance in hell of qualifying this year, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. you know, and so that I, I realized I probably need a better bedside manner. So, uh, so I started looking at the numbers and, and saying, okay, I've got to quantify for people so I can get them out of dreamland and, and let them understand well, how good these athletes are. And so I started just, you know, and I was lucky. I was coaching, you know, a number of qualifiers. So I just, I had the data. Mm. Um, and then, of course, I had my own when I was an elite. Um, and then I was coaching some other elites. So things, you know, it, it didn't take long. Uh, and then and then as power came out more and more, I started I started to actually gather uh, gather some some of the top pros. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, their, what their threshold watts were, what their watt per kilo was at threshold. And, and I kind of laid it in a chart and just kind of by from starting at the highest values down to the lower values. And it was amazing how, and I mean, it's pro- probably not that amazing, but uh, at the top of the chart with, with the highest, you know, watt per kilo values, ten, you know, I, I put an accomplishments uh, column to the right. And it's like first off the bike in Kona, you know, multiple mm. world titles and all the way down to, okay, this person won a 70.3. And okay, this person, you know, is podiumed at a 70.3. You know, it's like, it's the accomplishments, uh, the the value of the accomplishments, and the number of the accomplishments dropped as you went down. So, um, I I really just started with that, and then uh, just started like in saying, you know, there's a lot of value in this in terms of you know knowing what metrics you need to hit in order to be be successful at you know or competitive for for a goal. Um, so I so I really went went more into digging for that. And, you know, this book took me four years to write Yeah, uh, because as I would write the book, you know, I, I didn't want to just say, well, go out and train and do this and, you know, and follow that. I felt like, no, athletes want some guidance. They want to know a number range, you know, to kind of hit. And so I like, for example, I really started working at on giving athletes an idea of what's an appropriate CTL range mm. for the run, for the bike and and so I, you know, I wanted to make sure. So what I had to do, I had to go back and look at all my athletes and, okay, what ranges did they have? How, how much did it vary? Well, it kind of varied based on their strengths and weaknesses and, and this and that. So, so it took a little while. Um, you know, every time I'd, I'd kind of write the book, I'd be like, man, it'd be great to have a number on that or mm-hmm. a range. So I'm like, well, now I got to go back and research that. <laughs> so, so it kept, uh, kept becoming a hiccup, but, uh, 
yeah, you know, so I, you know, I give athletes like in there, if you're, if you're an over 40 year old male versus, uh, you know, an over 60 male who wants to qualify for Kona, um, mm. what's the right, uh, what do you need for a threshold pace for your running? What do you need for threshold Watts, mm. uh, watt per kilo? What, if you're a pro trying to make it, what do you need to be? If you're, you know, in your CTL, you know, uh, if you're, you know, I, I think in chapter five, is it, uh, I, yeah, I think chapter five I talk about if you want to finish an Ironman, you know, versus if you want to be a Kona elite podium, you know, person, what, what's the what's the percentage of your bike threshold power that you need to reach for your CTL? Because I tend to find they're related. I actually got that idea from Joe Friel. He started looking more at that relationship. And and so then I went and researched it. And then uh, it was it was kind of cool correlations I found. Cool. So, um, yeah, one other book I noticed when I was having a look at your website, um, you have got another book coming out, and this is probably going to be a, another topic for for another day. But um, it's all pretty new that uh, running with power. Um, I, I guess probably my only question out on this at the moment is um, how are there many um, devices out there that can actually capture running power? Yeah, yeah. Currently, there's two. And I would expect that you'll probably see a, a few more coming out soon. Um, you know, uh, are we going to have have it like on the bike? No, I don't think we'll have that as many as we have in cycling, just because there's, there's only so many ways to measure it. But uh, one company is called Stride, and it's a sensor. It's just an accelerometer yeah. that you wear on your chest with a heart rate strap. Um, and basically, you know, power is a work rate. Uh, work is simply force times distance. So, you know, it, it, it can sense how far you've moved in, in, in a distance, you know, in a certain direction. Uh, you know, it can give you the work because it, it'll understand if if it knows your mass, what type of force must be applied in order for that to to be accomplished. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's stride. Uh, the other one is, is RPM squared, and that's an insole-based uh, uh, power meter. And it's it measures uh, basically when you know through the foot and the connection with the ground, mm-hmm. uh, with some sensors in it that uh, can measure power. So uh, it's it's a pretty exciting time. I wrote a, wrote about the concept of power. I want to say back in 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I want to say it was right around there, maybe 2011. And I I wrote that once we get power meters in shoes, every world record in track and field will fall. Hmm. Uh, and you know, because, you know, and the book discusses it a bit, uh, the book is run with power. Um, it's, uh, it's because now we're going to have data to really assess how is our training going. We're going to have actual measurable data to know rather than just a stopwatch, you know, we'll be able to measure intensity. We'll know when we do small changes in technique or, um, you know, or cadence or whatever, how, how effective it actually is. So it's um, it's an interesting, you know, it's kind of a revolutionary time. Mm. Uh, I think you're you're going to see a lot of a lot of breakthroughs soon with the um, um, for running. We'll maybe come back and discuss all the you know the insides and outs of that uh, at a later date. So Jim, if people want to um, find out more about you or obviously get copies of the various titles that you've got, where's the best place generally to do that? Sure, just coachvance.com, and uh, yeah, I'll have uh, I've copies for sale autographed copies if people are interested in that or in, you know non autographed or you know obviously your major online retailers or even bookshops hopefully uh will will have them so 
Yeah. Fantastic, guys. So if you want to get into your data, check it out, Triathlon 2.0, and uh, we'll have a link for that on, on our website as well. So, Jim, thanks so much for your time. Sure. Thanks, John, for having me. Jumbo, your thoughts? Part two, because we, we, we did it once. And uh, it's just a great little resource. Got something for everybody. everybody. Not a little resource. It's a, it's a decent-sized book. Uh, so if you're just starting out and you want to know what all the terminology means, great place. But it also goes into some pretty high-level detail in terms of analyzing uh, race files, analyzing your season, trying to figure out, okay, I had a fantastic race. What training did I actually do to achieve that? or I had a shit period, or I kept getting sick, um, what what was I doing in my training in that period? So it's these days, with all your, with your devices, it's so easy to capture and upload the stuff. Once you've got your setup done, you basically, as long as you've got your Amp Plus stick plugged in, you more or less just walk near your computer and everything's uploaded and it goes to your Strava, it goes to your training peaks, it goes to Garmin Connect, it goes to everywhere you need to look at any information, and uh, it's pretty easy to capture stuff and just spending a little bit of time Remember that you can spend too much time analysing stuff and you could have actually used that time to be out training, but just maybe each week allocating... <laughs> yeah. If allocating. you're missing your session because you're looking at your stats. Exactly. It's time to look in the mirror. Yeah, so maybe allocate a little you know, little period each week where you look at look at some of your data. Okay, Coach's Corner, we're going to do it? Yes, we'll do it. Okay, wait a second, here we go. I'll put some music on. Pretty upbeat, wasn't it? It was pretty okay, upbeat. Do your, do your intro. Coach's corner. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, they're working together. Okay, John Bowie's coach's corner. Uh, we got the send-in from Matt. It was I think it was my friend Matt Young. It says. And I've got a guest coach in Coach's Corner this week. Oh, back it up. Because I had a few ideas on this, but I wanted to, to, to get some uh, some technical advice as well. So after Coach John's thoughts on riding and after Coach John's thoughts on riding into headwind, when riding into a headwind, I've noticed that even if I keep my power output and cadence the same as what I would be riding on the flat with no headwind or a climb with no headwind, my heart rate is always higher when riding into a headwind. Would this because be because of the added pressure across my whole body or am I just rubbish at riding into a headwind? If the effort is the same across all situations, I cannot understand why my heart rate would be higher into a headwind. Any thoughts would be appreciated. So really good question. And so I thought I'd go to David um, Bowden. We've had him on the show once or twice. So I'm going to use David for a bit of a, a resource on bike techie type questions. So if you have got other bike tech type questions like this, f- feel free to f- fire them in and I'll uh, try to get David to answer them. He's got a great resource. He recently actually did a bike fit on me on my roadie because I've been uh, playing around with the setup. Uh, Velologicfit.com. Velo- Velo- is it, is it, is it, you're actually buying a system? You're buying some software. So a lot of you guys will have seen Retool and there's all these different bike fitting systems out there. They cost a lot of money. Yeah. We're talking, you know, 20, 30K and stuff to buy these bike fitting systems or you actually buy a bike that you actually change around with the stuff. This is basically a software platform. So it's not for, for you to buy a bevel, no, just to use for it's yourself. Like a bike ship if you're a, if you're a bike shop or if you're a coach that wants to get into bike tri fitting, club. it's a yeah, a tri club. It's a system you can use. You set up a camera. It's got 3D sort of imaging on there, and it can basically you work through a whole bunch of positions, and it can give you the feedback. Hey, this is what you need to do. It's really cool, really cool to do. And he made some nice little changes for me, and uh, it's made a nice difference to my riding. So, and David also had on there. He's he's a tri geek man. He just loves looking at stats and numbers, really? and uh, and so. 
So, you know, he'll tell you all the answers of uh, why times were better at Taupo. So I said, you know, why were they so much quicker this year in Taupo? And he said a lot of it was to do with the, the atmospheric pressure. Oh, things really? Like, things like tyre pressure, tyre width, all that sort of stuff. He just loves it all. It's a geek out. Yeah, so in response to the question, um, so Matt sort of had this issue Riding into a headwind, his heart rate goes up, but his power's the same, his cadence is the same. Why is that? Um, so Dave came back with a couple of responses. Um, he says there's two possibilities, upper body tension and dehydration. So if you're bracing yourself heavily against the wind to avoid getting blown around, you'll be engaging upper body muscles um, that does not add to to your measured power but does increase your workload thereby reducing efficiency so if you're holding onto your handlebars really tightly or you're holding onto your bars really tightly yeah it's not going to help your power not going to help you move along any quicker but it is going to take more work so it's kind of like 10 shoulders up. when you're running isn't it exactly yeah. so it's not going to have a massive effect but your heart rate will go up secondly if it's really windy and you forget to drink or don't want to take your hands off the bars, then you risk getting dehydrated, which thickens your blood and increases your heart rate at the same time. Obviously, that effect will take longer to show up if you're um, so. If you're seeing an immediate jump in heart rate when you go into the wind, then I'd picking that you're tensing up. Therefore, we'd be looking at ways to keep you more relaxed as a solution. If you're on a road bike, I'd be making sure that your weight distribution and balance on the bike are not too forward as that is exacerbates any extra steering inputs like wind, bumps or, ro um, or in the road or descents or, and that can lead to a lot of tension. On a tri bike, we'd be focusing on using your aero bars to support you skeletally rather than muscularly as this aids in relaxing into the aero position. And just in case, remember to drink when it's windy. Aero bottles with straws like the Profile Design Aero HC and the FC25 can be very helpful for times when you don't want to take your hands off the bars. So that's I've I've got one of those Profile bottles on the front. Mm. They're great. You can reload them with they've got a little opening. Grab your bottles when you're out on the course and just reload. So it's one bottle just just sitting there, and uh, and that straw is pointing you in the face. So a in these situations where it's windy, it reminds you to drink, but it's just that constant reminder that you you know, need to stay hydrated out there. So a couple of really good answers there from David. Thank you I very think much. That, I think also that first point about you know too much tension through the upper body is one thing that we, we probably don't talk about enough on this show is as an athlete that whole idea of efficiency and movement, mm. and that's where sometimes getting a coach to look at your technique and actually just to, you know, like I know of my runners, we're often just teaching them to, to how can they be more efficient. And if you don't know what efficiency is, it's basically how do I move as fast as possible using as less energy as possible is kind of a good way to define it. And if you are someone who, for example, holds a lot of tension in your shoulders when you're running, well, that's not helping you go any faster. So to learn to relax through those shoulders is, is a good example of that. But there's a lot of, you know, and we've got three movements we're dealing with for triathlon. Mm. And I know a lot of swimmers, like I know I was always guilty of being, you know, the feedback I always got, oh, you're too tense through your shoulders. Mm -hmm. I just thought I had massive shoulders and <laughs> well, you but you know like the the thing is is that the really when we're doing an event that can take you know anywhere from nine to four, 17 hours some people would go on nine yes <laughs> <laughs> <You're> smart ass <laughs> but you know like efficiency is such an important factor mm. and just a little bit of relaxing like as David was saying in his response here to Matt you know that your heart rate can be increasing purely just because you're holding too much tension mm. now if you're doing that for you know six seven hours on the bike well that's a lot of wasted energy exactly. that's going to cost you in the run so just again kind of learning how do I move as fast as possible 
in the most relaxed way possible is something to really be thinking about in the way you move your body. So good work. And all you guys are interested in bike fitting or uh, want to check it out, go to uh, valogicfit.com. And can you put a link on the website? Yeah, I'll put well? a link on the website. And uh, what I like on the website is when you go to About Us and David and his, it must be his wife, Nikki. Yeah. Uh, if you go to their photos, they change from cycle gear on, cycle gear off. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's pretty pretty cool. David's, David's an ex on the bike as well. Is he really? Yeah. Machine. I love the person who geeks out. I'm not the geek. I'm yeah. so not that person. But I do love when, you know, that knowledge on that area. Okay, John. Sponsor. Immune boost. Tell me about it. Dr. Leslie Packer, PhD, is a father of antioxidant research who has father. published over 700 papers and 70 books. And he states in the book uh, that antioxidant miracle that literally thousands of studies confirm that antioxidants can help prevent numerous diseases. Uh, Dr. Packer went on to say that the University of California Berkeley studies have confirmed that after strenuous workouts, the body has gone through severe oxidative stress and attack, free radical damage that is created during healthy exercises and stresses your immune system. People who exercise regularly should have their antioxidant defense in place to minimize cell damage created by your heart earned fitness so basically what it's saying is you know your immune boost from extreme endurance is going to help you with that uh, antioxidant to fix up all your antioxidants and uh, keep you nice and healthy and I will say I've got a little tickle in my throat and the first thing I did yesterday was start slamming the immune boost slammed it again this morning that's probably why you got it you're slamming it you should have taken it calmly I should have and uh and more, probably nine times out of ten, I really find that just a short little boost of it will help me get over any uh, little little inclement um, sickness that I might get on. So check it out, xendurance.com. Um, immune boost will flood the inside of your body daily with a powerful antioxidant cocktail to help protect against oxidative stress, free radical damage, and help repair muscle damage and trauma with pharmaceutical-grade nutrients that make immune boost so powerful. So check it out, guys. Xendurance.com. Immune boost. There we go. Immune boost. Check, check, check it out. Xendurance. Okay, guys. One, two, three. Questions and answers. We've got Tom Davis here. And he's I got might, might save that for, uh, okay. for next week. Tom needs I to think. wait. Yeah. Well, I was just always going to talk about mountains now, but we kind of did. Yeah. So there's no real questions and answers. Okay. Well, this got some patrons. We've got to come up with these these ones on the on yeah, the Yeah, you, you you normally I, kind of pre prepare. I know. I thought we'll go back old school and we'll uh, maybe have a, have a pause. So we'll, we'll put a. No, let's do it on the spot. Come on. Oh goodness. Come on. You, who, do you want me to go first? Yeah. Oh, Matt Anderson. Don't walk over me. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're typing that. That was so good. Joe was walking past and she laughed. Okay. Don't walk over me. I'll type them in. Yeah, I'll save this file. Okay, you walk over. Okay, you got the next one. David Gidge. Gidge sounds like hedge. Hedge. So why don't we go trimmer? Okay, trimmer. Nice. Trimmer. Good. Good. See, trimmer. You're, you're, you're feeling our magic team right now. Trimmer. Okay, Tony Buckingham. Tony. Uh, Tony participated in the age group of the week, so he's a Kiwi living in uh, Canada. I'm not sure if his wife's a Kiwi or Canadian, but she's a nutritionist. And uh, Tony, I think he's been to World Champs, but I'm not sure if he's been to Kona or not. Buckle in, Buckingham. Buckle in? <laughs> yeah. Buckle in, Buckingham. Buckle. Get on, buckle in, because we're about to go for a ride. Uh, Matthew Roberts. There used to be a great rugby league player in Australia called Ian Roberts, played yep. for Manly. Yep. So and their name was the Sea Eagles. Yep. So Matthew Sea Eagle Roberts. Nice. And then Laura Webb. We've got to go something with Spider Man. So I go Spidey. Spidey. Laura Spidey Webb. Nice. See, 
just, just out of nowhere, guys. We just—it's unbelievable the thinking ability that John and I have. Yeah, really, is mind blowing. Fantastic, John. We should do the iron finishes again at some stage. Oh, there's lots of things we should do. Yeah, um, it's a good idea. We just never really followed it up. But, John, yeah. I got if I do that, we've got to get some caps, and then people can get the different coloured swim caps. Yeah, but you only really want to wear the good ones. Oh, what is coming out? out? What is coming out, out guys? For those of you that are not on Facebook or, or didn't see our Facebook post, we've got some new I Am Talk gear oh, coming out yeah, in the next couple really cool. of weeks. So uh, I think it's about three weeks away or so. And how it's going to work is uh, it's actually going to be through the same guys that do the ITU store. So we're going to have our own little store. It'll be like in the past where you go, uh, we sort of will do it in batches. So we you know, order by a certain date and then we'll book, close it off and then stuff will get delivered. We'll probably do it you know, maybe three times a year or so. Um, but we're going to have a full range of gear. So it's not just going to be a, uh, a bike jersey and bike shorts this time. It's going to be bike jersey, bike shorts, and then we're going to do a whole range of other stuff as well. And you can just go on there. You know, Hopefully we're going to have socks and caps and Ugh. long sleeve tops. And, and you go to parties, sort of you just put our gear on. And uh, they basically, the good thing for us is they'll be taking care of it, care of it all. So it'll be you know, shipping around all, all around the world. Uh, won't be won't be a drama, and you'll be able to just process it with a credit card. It'll just be like going to a, a regular online store. So really looking forward to that. So look, check it out in a few weeks' time. And if you haven't seen it, you can go onto our Facebook page and scroll down. And you'll see our new design. It's actually really cool. Mm. Took us about ten years to get it sorted, didn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah, by committee. Yes. Uh, Jumbo. Sponsors. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Lactic buffer. And our patrons. And you want to become a patron, go to www.iamtalk.me. And we got the email through from our winner, didn't we? Yes. Uh, James Fieldwood. Yep. Yep. He was pretty happy. Yep. Yes. Be coming to Kona. Coming to Kona, Jumbo. What you got? Oh, just one thing. Fitness behavior is this fortnight. I do it fortnightly. Mm. I'm trying to go to weekly in the next period of time. But... Um, I had a guy called David Galbraith, one of New Zealand's top sports psychologists on. Oh, right. And awesome interview. Mm. And I've had so much feedback on it. Like, mm. you know, so if you do want to listen to a really good sports psychologist, um, check it out. It's bevanjamesiles.com. It's a really good interview, about an hour long. Mm. Really, really good interview. So you want to check that out, do that. Um, Jobbo, your goss. My goss had a fantastic week down in Arrowtown. As we've seen Arrowtown? Oh, we had friends that had a place there, so we stayed with them. Mm. Good time of year there, because it's beautiful in autumn. Oh, it's great. Pretty chilly in the mornings. Oh, yeah. First day, it was, uh, <laughs> first, first day I went for a ride, it was uh, it was a nice carpet white all over the golf course and stuff. So there's some great climbs down there. So I did uh, Coronet Peak. Actually, while I... We did that on Epic Camp, didn't we? We did do it once on yeah. Epic Camp. Yeah. So let me just... Uh, I think Coronet Peak was... It was eight... Chris Mcatee, eight, I rode that with Chris Mcatee. yeah. It was eight, eight kilometres long at an average of 9%. So it's a pretty decent climb. And I tried to push it up there reasonably hard, although that was, I think I'd, the day before I'd run three hours and the day before that I'd gone up the Crown Range and so I was getting a little tired. The bad, thing about, the bad thing about Strava is it really shows you how shit you are. Oh, because they've got some good guys in there. Because they, they, we have a, um, probably our biggest bike tour in New Zealand is called the Tour of Southland and they quite often finish at the top of the Crown Range. Oh, um, and so I think, I what did I do? I did... Uh, I think I did twenty. No, I did thirty-seven minutes or something. And Michael Vink, who's sort of a top one of our top cyclists, he did it in like twenty-eight. Wow, that's impressive. I, I didn't have a great climb. Here I had an okay. I, I don't have any excuses. Around three hour run. I don't. Even, I, I mean, I didn't have a great climb. So maybe I could have gone a couple of minutes quicker if I'd had a really good climb. Yeah. But still, to yeah. be nine minutes behind is uh, fairly humbling. I did do a lot better on the Crown Range. I think I was. I wish I'd done. Remember that time we did Epic Camp. Mm-hmm. And we did the handicap start. 
I flew up the crime rate that day. I wish I'd done a server on that <laughs> back in the day. Couldn't do that now. So yeah, I didn't didn't rank very highly on that one. Outside of that, just had a great time down down there. The luge. If you ever go to Queenstown and you've got kids, go and do the luge. You get absolutely rogered paying for it. <laughs> uh, but it's fantastic. What price wise, man? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was great, and just ate too much as usual, drank too much as usual. Has your, your life at carb? <laughs> it's going good this, this week, Today, but it's yeah. not going so well last week. Uh, so it was good times. Mm. Bevan, what's happening in your world? Well, John, I was feeling a little bit sore after our weekend <laughs> on, yeah. the, on the Monday. I thought, shit, I think I've ruined my body for the next six years. Yeah. And then I had to go up to Auckland, and I'm doing pretty intensive week of work, you know, jumping up mm. and down. And it was amazing. Like within a couple of days, I was fine, and you know, I managed to get through it. And then on Friday, I went for a run with Joan, and then I bloody did my knee. And so I think knees was a common thing because I had a. Uh, I think that's just because of the quad tightness. So I certainly had a sore knee the day after, uh, for for a few days afterwards. I well, I hadn't really trained for it. So. Phil and Ada did, and I think Ben Phillips did as well. I think it's just that. Well, that it was so quad, much hill work as well. Yeah. You know, in both bike and run. Mm. Um, so I had that, and then I was up in Auckland. Mm. Did my work in Auckland? It was kind of mm-hmm. fun. Oh, did, 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 you, rain did you see my YouTube clip? No. On Facebook? No. Oh, we we put together this clip of us doing a bungee rocket. It's what, what? A bungee rocket, you know. The oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. We, it, it was so funny. We've had over 35,000 views. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it, it was it's pretty funny. So basically it was myself, a French guy called Roman, and a guy called Adam from the States. Now, Adam was pretty afraid, but he was keen. Yeah. Roman was, there's no way he was doing it. So yeah. we, it took us 20 minutes to talk him into it. Yeah. And then we get on, and it's pretty entertaining watching it. It was pretty So funny. there's the one by the, by the Sky yeah, by the Tower. Casino. So yeah, basically, yeah. It, was, it was basically a ball. You're kind of in this kind of metal container, and it's just this big bungee, and it shoots you into the air. Go onto yeah. my Facebook page, Bevan James Isles. Um, it's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a bit of a laugh. So to so that... Then barbecue weekend. We had lots of barbecues at our house mm-hmm. on the weekend, which is very good. And then I bought a new barbecue the other day. It was quite bought a new barbie. Yeah. Did you get a Weber? No. I'm not I into the Weber. Buy, 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 my, Everyone loves the Weber nowadays. I've, I've experienced the Weber. It's overrated. It's not great. I'm disappointed in the Weber. You know why? And I think it's funny. Joe's old man's got a Weber. Yeah. And Joe's old man loves the Barbie. He's a, he's the kind of guy yeah. who go out every night and cook on the Barbie, and he's got a Weber. It takes away the barbecuing experience. Mm. There's no flames. Mm. There's no smoke coming in your face so you can't see. Mm. It, you know, it just didn't seem like barbecuing to me. It just no. seems like putting it in the oven. Mm. No. So what kind of barbie did you get? Massport. Yeah. Hooded one, yeah. It's all good. It's all good. Why, why? What was wrong with the old one? The other one fell to pieces. <laughs> okay. Do you use your barbie much? Yes, we use it a lot. Oh, do you? Yeah. I don't yeah. Joe, Joe, I think Joe deep down wishes I was a bit of a barbecue. Yeah, no. At least three times a week. Oh, really? So you yep. go outside and cook on the barbie, do you? I get sent outside to go and cook on the barbie. Wow. You know your place? Sort of uh, we, we were talking bungee jumping. When we, uh, one thing, though, a fantastic thing. Would you bungee kids. jump? Yeah, I've done bungee jumping. Yeah, yep. Yep. Good? Yeah, it's a, it's a once-a, yeah. I think. Uh, so Queenstown, home of bungee jumping. Uh, I took the kids on a few bike rides and took Thomas on a 14k bike ride on this um, on one of the new trails. So Down by the Arrowtown one? Yeah, that's Arrowtown, cool. yeah. and we finished at the bungee jumping bridge. Yeah, that's great right there. Oh, mate. it was just fantastic. That's an awesome run as well. And um, so I was running, Thomas was biking, and then when we got there, um, obviously there's people bungee jumping, and they had two girls doing a bungee jump, and they had a selfie stick when they did it. That would probably be pretty cool footage. That would be good footage, yeah. wouldn't it? But they have it taped to their sort I was going to say, because when you let go? Yeah, no, they had it taped, they had it strapped to their arm somehow. So, right, Bevan, I've got to go and uh, see if I can keep up with the bunch ride. 
I think you will. I think I will. I think you can dominate it. I tell you what, look out for Andrea Hewitt in the Olympics. Oh, really? We had the Hagley Relays in Christchurch, which is just our sort of winter cross-country season kickoff um, races. My kids went down and, and did it. And Andrea Hewitt beat all the girls. But she had a very impressive time. Really? Very impressive. So she beat the girls. There's a girl who's a, just qualified for the 800 metres at the Olympics, and she might not have been going full noise. She probably wasn't. Um, but Still. also another girl uh, who's one of our top-ranked runners nationally, Rosa Flanagan, beat them, and her time was... I mean, it was only a minute off the fastest guys, and the fastest guys are sort of, you know, close to th- sort of thirty-minute ten k guys. Yep, it was a pretty impressive run. Really, what'd you and do? I didn't run, but uh-huh. um, <coughs> if I had, she would have spanked me big time. That's why you didn't run, eh? Yes. Andrew's here. I'm, I'm out. I'm out. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. I think last year I was similar to the girl who got second. I think I might be wrong there. Yeah. I'd have to check, check athletics out, but Andrea beat her by twenty-five seconds. Wow. So um, hopefully, on, Andrea. Hopefully, she's the middle. Yeah. Because she hasn't got an Olympic medal, has she? No. No. Come so. on, Andrew. Come on. Come on. Remember, Blue 70 uh, wets Helix Wex suit on auction this week, courtesy of Legends of Triathlon, and that show will be up this week. Okay, guys, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.